Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with good friend and managing editor, Richard Hill. Look, I'd love to come in with a with a, a different voice, um, just to <laughs> just to do a bit of novelty. But no, it's just me, and it's just us. And oh. here we are again. Uh, but we've got this uh, really interesting experience today that we're going to do something something that takes us in a into a different thought pattern. Mm. Beautiful guest today. Yeah, that's right. So we're going uh, across to talk to Susan Apochian, and she is an accomplished meditator, um, psychotherapist, and somatic psychologist. And she, well, she actually came from uh, the world of dancing in the 70s, and then she encountered uh, a practice of mind-body centering and became a dedicated uh, student of Bonnie Brainbridge-Cohen, And then that just launched her whole career into body-mind psychotherapy. Now, she's written a couple of books, um, Natural Intelligence, Body-Mind Integration and Human Development, and Body-Mind Psychotherapy Principles, Techniques, and Practical Applications. But we're talking her about her new book. We are. Heart Opened, Body Awake. Fantastic. And four steps to embodied spirituality. I yeah. love that, embodied spirituality. This is something that, uh, that uh, attracted me enormously to the, to the process. So, so we've got Susan in a minute, but of course, everybody, remember, you know, we love bringing you these podcasts and we love you enjoying them. But uh, if you feel you want to support us a bit more and a bit, uh, you're able to uh, and you want to engage in our academy where there's access to our magazine, our monthly magazine, plus uh, a thousand hours of, of fabulous uh, um, uh, education and knowledge and experience, please come and become a subscriber to the Science of Psychotherapy at the Science of psychotherapy.net and uh, uh, and you can become engaged uh, and you know there's you know there's certificates for CEU points and all kinds of things you can do uh, through that through that pop, uh, framework fantastic yes we'd love to have you part of the tribe and just hanging out together so yeah. Yeah, hang out with the Aussie guys <laughs> that's right all right Richard let's let's go across and say hi to Susan Susan thank you so much for joining us here on the science of psychotherapy podcast so great to see you Yes, thank you, Matthew, and you, Richard, as well. Yes, I'm I'm here as always. This is is so wonderful to to have you you join us uh, with this really interesting and important perspective. The, the, the book "Heart Open, Body Awake" that in itself is fabulous, but then you get a, a a colon, and you get four steps to embodied spirituality. All this just grasped our attention. But before we get into all that fabulous stuff and as we sort of uh, you know break down all the the wonderful elements of the book maybe just a little you know what brought what's got you into this point here with that book because there are a few other books in your stable and you've been around a while doing a lot of things uh we've given an introduction but could you fill us in with the real stuff <laughs> <laughs> well the real stuff is that you i started in somatics and psychology simultaneously really You know, I grew up in both, and I worked pretty hard to keep them separate. You know, they didn't have a lot of credibility in each other's fields. 
And, um, and I was able to, you know, keep them separate for a little bit. But in the 90s, I started really blending the two. And that's when I developed body-mind psychotherapy. And that's when, here in the States, the somatic psychology or body psychotherapy world was really taking off. And it was an exciting time for all of us and a time where we were really pushing the envelope and um, hoping that we would get to the point where we are today, where most psychotherapists all over the world, I think, realize that there's some practicality and importance of including the body. It's, it's yeah. such a fascinating thing. My, my wife is a, a body worker. She's a, a massage therapist of quite some repute, but also she works with lifestyle medicine and she's a nurse as, as well. And one of the things we did a, a bit of a paper a little while ago, a few years ago, just talking about that arguably around 70% of the body, of, of our biology, does nothing but move us. That's all it does, you know, the bones, the muscles, and so on and so forth. And so to not consider that the the movement of this biology is a fundamental part of our mental experience is just to us odd. And I think this is what you were getting, you you guys at Pat Ogden, we've had lots of conversations with her. I know you know her. She did a lovely review of your book. So what was it like, though, uh, feeling this transition of the acceptance through those those 90s years? It was um, really exciting and really fun on the one hand. And on the other hand, you know, I always felt a lot of imposter syndrome, even though we didn't have that phrase back then. I, you know, I've, I always in my life feel, you know, a little bit like, you know, the witch and someone is going to burn me at the stake soon, you know. It's an encouraging morning thought, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, the exciting part was really what you guys do, all the support of the sciences that we were all drawing from and sharing with each other and inviting the scientists in to teach us. And, um, you know, you just talked about 70% of our biology being about movement. Um, you know, there were neuroscientists, uh, can't remember their names in my second book. I probably won't be able to find it, but I quoted... I think he was Spanish, maybe, some neuroscientist who was big somewhere in some important university. Um, He said that our brains are fundamentally and primarily about movement. That's how the brain evolved. So if you think about primitive organisms, you know, getting big enough, multicellular organisms, getting big enough that they needed a nervous system. Before the nervous system developed, it was all chemical communication within the organism. And then once, you know, you got big enough, you needed, you know, just at, at, at the beginning, it was just a, you know, like a circle of nerves for the starfish. Yeah. And, um, a web of nerves for the sea squirt. You know, there was no central nervous system. It was just passing motor impulses. 
You know, that's inarguable. That's how the nervous system evolved, was to help us coordinate movement from one end of an organism to another. We did some uh, stuff for that for, for the book. And just, just a couple of fun facts, which is kind of cute, I was rereading the other day, is DNA eventually made itself happen and took about 500 million years. And then it formed a, a sort of membrane around it. So our first cell, the LUCA, the, the last universal common ancestor, was about took about 700 million years. And it was three and a half billion years before a nerve, a fast communication network started up. So sponges had nothing and jellyfish, away they went. And as you say, the sea squirts and so on and so forth. But it was a long time before it came became unnecessary. But we've done an awful lot in six or 700 million years with that little bit of connection, you know, hence us. But it, it goes beyond that because of that experience. Now, we call it I would say this word spirituality, that's what, how human beings engage with it. Uh, I, you know, we don't know what other species do because we can't talk to them. But that is an important part. I mean, we're talking about embodied spirituality. So just talking about the body. What is that? How does that come about to be a connected framework? So my theory is, and there is some scientific support for this, that spirituality is an innate template that we can follow back to other animals earlier in the evolutionary process than us. Clearly, all life is interdependent. So much of what we call spirituality is our sense of oneness, our sense of being a part of a larger whole, our sense of connectedness and connectivity. And then we develop all of the various religious ideas that we can argue about, we can fight about, we can say, my God is the one true God and your God, you know, isn't a real God and, you know, all of the crazy stuff that we do. But that hasn't really helped people. And I was uh, telling you earlier about this great book, um, new book, The Awakened Brain by Lisa Miller. And she's uh, simultaneously a brilliant research psychologist at Columbia. I think she was at the National Institute of Health. And she's a serious number cruncher. And she's crunching a lot of, you know, numbers of longitudinal data. And what she saw is that people that reported themselves to be highly religious but not spiritual, that um, category did not have the same psychological resilience as the people that reported themselves to be highly spiritual, whether they were religious or not. I think basic, her basic question, I think, is something like, how important is spirituality? Is your personal spirituality in your life? And for those with high levels of personal importance of spirituality, she, she can crunch the numbers in a way that shows that that is the single most significant indicator of resilience from depression the single biggest indicator of everything 
That's so fascinating. And because uh, Matt and I talked about this before in various spiritual aspects and religious aspects, and this there's this this one of uh, attuning yourself or ascribing yourself to an external uh, influence and then you've got something uh, which i suppose buddhism is the most generalized understanding of that which is much more about ascribing and internalizing a sense of um a, a ability to to access something that is at the, that is greater and that's a different process it, and what i get when i think about it is i get a circle a circular motion when i when i move back towards that is that relevant you you're beautifully nodding your head so i'm hitting something that you find yeah, absolutely relevant i think in terms of the sense of interdependence the sense of being part of a larger whole then inner and outer become continuous Ah, yes. Right? And so even if you start on the outside and, you know, if you start with, you know, a prayer to whatever, please help me, if it doesn't circle back around and come through you, then it's empty. I had a talk with a, a minister recently and and she said, you know, sometimes I feel God and sometimes I don't feel God. And, you know, it, it felt sad to me because it felt like, you know, there's such a struggle in the organized religions where you get um, abandoned so frequently, <laughs> you know, and, and you feel, you know, it's like being beached as a whale. You're just washed up on shore and you don't know how to get back into the water. And that, you know, that's why I think the embodiment part is so important, both in psychotherapy and in spirituality and in the continuity between the two, you know. And I think they became discontinuous. Our sense of psychology and spirituality became discontinuous for the same reasons that our spirituality has become so cognitive and so bereft of heart and human connection because we have practiced living more and more in the virtual reality of our brains and we've gotten better and better at ignoring the direct experience of our bodies. You know, this is one of the problems that you, when you're talking about embodiment and our approach to it, so when talking about psychotherapists approaching embodiment, um, we often come at it from a very cognitive um, place rather than a more organic place. Maybe you can talk to us a bit about what that more organic approach would be. Well, I think the more organic approach you know, becomes viable when it starts with the psychotherapist themselves. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if, and this is a problem with a lot of young somatic psychotherapists, they're like, okay, how do I get my client into their bodies? And it becomes an act of aggression rather than I want to learn to live in my body more and more of the time, 100% of the time, potentially, to live in my body when my client is severely depressed, to live in my body when my client is sharing really scary stuff, 
to live in my body when I am frightened or angry, you know. And so if we can do that, then um, I call my psychotherapeutic work body-mind psychotherapy. If, if we can work with our own embodiment, then we can start with what the client wants, whatever it is, you know, love, a new job, <laughs> whatever it is, and help them feel when their body wakes up and go, moves forward with their goals. This this I, this just reminds me. I, I I learned a lot about psychotherapy in acting school. Uh, people have got a bit bored with that, but I was an actor for for twenty years or so. But we had this amazing movement teacher. Uh, we called a name Keith Bain, who was quite famous in Australia, passed away. But and I remember I used to take my head to class, and then I would sort of get into movement. But when Keith entered the room, there was this entity that that shone out and literally shone out from his chest. His chest entered the room first. His his heart entered the room first, and it took me a few years to to get it. But I you know I really believe. I did get it, and and this is what you're describing. That um, I, I haven't sat with you yet, but I have spent some time with Pat Ogden, and you know, this entity enters the room that we call Pat Ogden, but we don't have. Um, uh, you know, it's quite fascinating, and I think the thing that just you were just starting to do it, and I wanted to talk about this because you talk about things like like wonder and joy. Great, uh, we all love that, but you also say. But there's pain and there's death and there's difficulty. And these are all, uh, you know, we try to disconnect them or, or do we try to disconnect them, but we shouldn't? What's your your talk about there in the book? Well, again, I kind of have to go back to my psychotherapeutic work because what I haven't said yet is that as I began integrating somatics and psychology, I was still keeping my meditation and spirituality practices in the closet. And feeling like, okay, well, I'm mixing these two, but I shouldn't bring this one in because that's heresy. And um, so I was keeping that in the closet. And more and more I realized, oh, this is ridiculous. These are, this is a continuity. This is human development. This is maturation, potentially. So, you know, the way that Western culture is set up at this point is in, in psychological exploration is, you know, first work through the darkness, right? I don't know. Will, will that change in 50, 50 years? But we're so steeped in, you know, looking at the early issues, looking at early childhood, looking at the pain and the trauma and the dysfunctional families and coming to understand that and coming to feel in our bodies how that left its legacy. So that seems to be the first and, you know, in conventional approaches to psychology, the complete process. But what I've seen for, you know, thousands of people is that then can we emerge from uh, what I call in the Heart Open Body Awake book, from the egoic emotions, which need attention even in a spiritual context. When they come up, they take priority. You're mad, you're frightened, you're grieving, 
you know, these things need attention. You know, if there's a traumatic dimension to any of those or all of those, then they need even more attention more quickly. But can we make a relationship to those things, to our basic anxiety, to our basic depressions, and hold them in a way that allows us to then still find this larger sense of meaning, sense of connection, sense of personal identity, so that the personal identity shifts from, you know, I am a child of a dysfunctional family, my mother did this, my father did this, and, you know, I've been crippled for life, or to become, yes, I had this history, and I have truly grappled with it and truly loved it and healed it and made peace with it, and I can begin to shed it. I can begin to dismantle this, you know, what Wright called armor, but, you know, it's more of a, you know, an encasement of mind, a smallness of identity that we all live within, you know, for much of our lives. Can I let these, what I call in the Heart Open Body Awake book, transcendent emotions? So we've got egoic emotions, and we've got, I think I call them transcendent. <laughs> I think a lot. But something, you know what I'm saying, peace, joy, love, expansion, connection, intimate relationship, but not just sexual intimate relationship, intimate relationship with, you know, as the uh, Native American people say, all of my relations, you know, which means everybody, not just the humans, not just the animals, but everything. You know, it's such a powerful thing in terms of healing psychological issues to have a glimpse beyond them and into a larger sense of, I remember when when I was very young, my husband was also a psychotherapist when we were young and and I was deep in the throes of some kind of old pain. And, and he said, you know, your essence has nothing to do with all of your history. You know, to hear that in the depths of despair, you know, to hear a message like that, that kind of, you know, became a, a thread that helped me move you know, along with many, many other things, but that helped me heal my own issues and open up to a larger sense of who I am. Yeah. And a deeper sense and a more important, more profound sense. Yeah. And, you know, and so then to start to be able to help others do that and to start to see, you know, perhaps the real deal isn't about healing, perhaps the real deal is looking beyond the healing to a larger sense of human life, human community, ways of being together. Yeah. Well, now let's have a talk about um, 
the book and the structure of the book, because you've got this beautiful four steps of embodiment um, that I think provide a wonderful um, structure to step us through and you weave the science and spirituality and everything together. So just give us a little bit of a, a, a sense of how you step us through those. So the four steps are open, feel, allow, and connect. And um, let's start with open because it's the first, but also open is important in terms of our brains because really the first thing that has to happen as adults is our brains have to decide this is a good idea to open up to all this other stuff other than just my mentally fabricated virtual world. And that's hard to do because so long as we're alive, our brain wants to continue as we've been doing. The brain is the habituated part of our beings. You know, everything has pattern. You know, all elements on the planet have patterns. But the brain is the one that clings to the pattern that clings to the homeostasis, that clings to the repetition that just says, hey, you know what? It might not be perfect, but we're alive, so don't don't rock the boat. And, you know, I can laugh about it right now, but that clinging to what has been is torture for all of us, right? Everybody knows, every adult knows how torturous it is to live within the confines of our habituated behaviors and thoughts. So to persuade the brain to, you know, open things up a little bit is, you know, a, a magic trick. And we all do it in, in a million different ways. And you know, we cross our fingers and it's all a bit jerry-rigged. And, uh, you know, it's just by hook or by crook getting in there to the brain, you know, and, and you all in your work talk a lot about mind science. And I don't know if you talk about mind-body. Oh, yes, you know? we do a lot. Yeah. Well, the purpose for me of mind-body approach is to convince the brain that it's okay to try a body-mind approach. <laughs> yeah, because my, my mentor is uh, Ernest Rossi. And so we, we, we look to uh, the, 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 the brain, the cognitive brain being the observer, uh, to notice what the body uh, is sending us through, through these idiodynamic uh, responses. Uh, rather than the, the brain is telling the body what to do, the brain is noticing. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and then and so then to take that a step further to kind of formally demote the brain from all supreme, all powerful leader to consultant. Yeah. So the brain can say, Hey, you know, I've noticed that you're always doing it this way and it's really not working that well. And you know, you might want to check in with somebody else in our team here. Yeah. I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah. I've got an idea that this person over here has an idea that we should yes. listen to. That's the difference. And and this is where it just slides into that second part, feel. 
you know, we open, then we can feel. Is that is it sort of a stepped process? This, but anyway, just, just closed. <laughs> Don't stop interrupting. Keep going. <laughs> Stepped and it's circular, you know, and terribly, terribly repetitive in any given moment. You know, you can just zip all the way through or you can open and then hit your head against the wall and then open again and hit your head against the wall, you know, whatever is needed. But, you know, to to go from just thinking, oh, the body's a good idea you know, and let's mention it occasionally, to actually putting in lots of time feeling. Yeah. What do I feel now? What do I feel now? How do I, how do I feel this deep inside my core? I had a, a couple in my office. They were both um, body psychotherapists. And they were, you know, it, it was pretty gnarly what they were dealing with. And, um, and I said, okay, let's just pause, feel your body. And, uh, I didn't see much shift. And I said, what are you feeling? And, um, one of them said, well, I can feel my butt against the chair. And I said, you know what? You're going to have to dig a lot deeper than that if you want to get through this. But that was a starting point, I, I, I guess. Yeah. But it was, but you know, it was a starting point for people that had already put in a lot of time. Yeah. You know, so the recalcitrance of our brains of really, you know, really diving in, really feeling, you know, it requires, you know, a lot of commitment. And a lot of times what gets us to make that commitment is, you know, extreme pain, extreme difficulty. It, it draws our attention. Uh, uh, Keith used to Keith used to teach us to feel with our back and to feel with our knees. And uh, and uh, I also back then as an actor, but also if I were a, a client, I, I would think, "What are you talking about?" What, um, but once it starts to happen, once you start to go, um, my knee has got it, and we we ha- we've got a name for it. Uh, you know, this proprioception, this. Um, and we talk about that a, a lot in polyvagal theory as well as a, as one of the ways in which our body is able to speak to us about our our sense of stability and our our sense our our feeling as you're saying of um, where our joints are in space. I mean, uh, we think it's a head thing, but it's not. It's a body thing. It's so, so true. It's, yeah. So that's an example, isn't it, Richard, of coming at it from a purely somatic perspective rather than a cognitive. Um, perspective, because I I think we can try and cognitively appraise and appreciate and sort of get what the soma is doing. But as you say, that doesn't really get us there. It doesn't get us deep enough. Um, Let me me rephrase that, Matthew. mm. See if I understand what you're saying. So I think that you know, our brains noticing the sensations, whether they're proprioceptive or, you know, whatever else in our bodies, that's mind-body, right? Uh-huh. And so then the next step, the allow step, shifts us into body-mind or body. Right. Yeah. 
because I can observe what's happening. Oh, I'm I'm getting a little nervous in my gut here. Okay, I noticed that. I noticed that. But I can hold it really still and try to control it mentally. Or I can feel my gut and I can let that be the center, let that be the leader. What are you telling me? What am I listening for here? I can surrender my cognition to my experience. So this is a sensation when you're meditating, when you, you, you that point where you drop down from your head into your body. Well, that's how I would explain it. Yes, yes. And for some people, it happens when you're meditating. For some people, it happens never. For some people, it happens out in nature, making love, you know, whatever it is that you you shift and you go, oh, it's a lot better <laughs> this way. <laughs> that, is that, that, that sense of that experience of wonder and, and amazement, which, which so, you know, what are you thinking now? And you say, nothing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm, I can't put words to this. The, the, wow. Those are some of the things. And that's probably, um, you know, a really good thing for a client to say, uh, as an indicator, I suppose, uh, uh, these sorts of sometimes well, the verbal where they don't say anything, but yeah. these things come from the client. Oh yes, absolutely. I, I'm thinking of somebody I just spoke to earlier in the week, and um, and you know she's somebody that I have known since she was a very young woman, terrible trauma history. And, um, you know, she said to me this session, we only speak once every few years. She said, you, you grew me up. And, um, and, and so something was happening. She was, you know, taking a step in her life and she was afraid. And, you know, she's just shed so many fears and, um, aggressions toward herself and others. And, and, you know, she, she was going like this and I said, can you look at me now? And she goes like this and she said, I can't, I can't look at you. I'm so guarded. I've always been so guarded. And I just said, can you look at me now? And she looked, she kept her hands here and she looked up and she started to cry and I can't remember anything more after that, but I think we talked about, you know, you can do this. You can take this next step. You, you know, you're safe now. Like, you know, your life is safe. Your life is stable. You know, of course, never perfectly safe, perfectly stable, but good enough. Yeah. And, you know, and she kind of, she was able to bring her hands down and she kind of looked around and, you know, it was a moment. So this would be part of this fourth step, connect. Yeah. 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 That's, that's right. Mm. Yeah. And I'm just rather taken by the fact of you saying, and I can't really remember what happened there you know i'm sort of thinking of uh, um the, you know the the right right brain to right brain stuff that that we we get from from um um uh, alan 
Shaw and, and, and various other people, but also body, because uh, with Ernie Rossi, we we would just we would just uh, have periods of time where both client and therapist um, uh, would have no particular cognitive memory of the experience, but um, uh, in some when we had observers or when we had video, we'd go, oh, look at all the stuff that was going on, you know, movements in the body and so on and so forth. And I've seen this with some of the videos that Pat's shown and Peter Levine has shown. Um, and so this process as you talk through the book and you you give lots of, of activities and exercises and, and ways in which people can experiment and, and test that, that, that's, of course, very important. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know yet. You know, this is an experiment for me, Richard. Um, I know it was important in psychotherapy. And now that I'm coming out of the closet, so, you know, it's been 15, 17 years since my last book, which was Body, Mind, Psychotherapy. And I've been working on this embodied spirituality concept since then, but not so much in public, you know, not little bits of teaching, but not, you know, in a big way. And, and so now I'm learning, I'm learning to understand what do we need to do here to um, recognize that spirituality is an innate part of our beings, to recognize that as Thomas Hora um, he's a psychiatrist. I don't know if he's still alive, but he said a long time ago, um, all problems are psychological and all solutions are spiritual. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. So how do we take that into our lives outside the realm of, of psychotherapy and, you know, and own our spirituality and claim it and claim the uniqueness of each of our spiritual paths. You know, there has to be difference, tremendous difference here. You know, it seems like that's, you know, the, the prescribed paths of religion is what has dehumanized religion. So how do we come together and support each other to find our unique paths to practice together a little bit? Because some practices are important for some of us and some for the others. And, you know, how do we open it up enough so that people are empowered individually and find meaningful ways to grow and mature, you know, beyond the psychological into this larger sense of self-unity, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a, a beautiful description. And I'm just feeling that that's a, a wonderful thought to, to leave people with. Wonderful. Well, um, you know, we really appreciate um, everything that you've you've put into this book. Where Richard and I know how hard it is to be writing books. It, t- it takes a lot of effort, um, and for you to be able to be sharing your thoughts um, in this beautiful book, we really appreciate that. We will be pointing everyone to the book in the show notes, so everyone make sure you check out this book by Susan Apostian. 
Well, thank you both for inviting me. It was fun to talk to you, and um, I'm so excited to always be in touch with, you know, the furthest continent from me in my life. So welcome to all those down under. We, and and we're we're grateful for for the experience and and we look forward to people you know talking to us and engaging and sending us their their thoughts you know I wonder if people just uh, after as they sit here and as they're experiencing now wow what are you feeling in your bodies right now as we talk about your bodies this is a time to to pause and reflect so but for now uh, we will say our goodbyes. Uh, from this specific experience, but but not our goodbyes for uh, for the beautiful spiritual experience that will continue on. Um, thank you so much, Susan. See you later. Thank you. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and that that thought I just had at the end end there of mm-hmm. what are we feeling in our bodies now? Um, yeah. Here's yeah. an opportunity just to just to experience what um, what Susan was was suggesting, and 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 I'm standing. At my desk, so I, I, have a, I have a standing desk, and it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about my my knees, what are they saying? But I've got a, a little pain in one of the sides of my back. I'm, you know, maybe maybe it's age. I wonder what's that about. What do I need to do there? No, I might go talk to Susan, my, my wife, and talk about is my body telling me I need an exercise? So, yeah, all yeah. this stuff. This uh, and yeah. suddenly my body's telling me stuff that my my brain needs to be interested in. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I was thinking we have such a rich palette now as therapists, don't we? we there are so many things we can draw on. Yeah, it, as we've been talking about, you know, all the somatic, um, the spiritual, the cognitive, we have so much that we can have as a palette. We can pick and choose. And as you always say, Richard, as long as we are client responsive, we've just got a, a rich toolbox of things yes. to draw from. And there's so much, there's so much more we can learn about how the body works. And and uh, early plug, that's our new book next year. But uh, <laughs> we'll get, we'll tell more about that soon when we when we yeah. things that's that's coming together. I guess we got it. We got to go. Yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Once again, if you do enjoy what we're doing here, please drop into the scienceofpsychotherapy.net and become a member. We'd love to have you as part of the tribe. But until next time, bye for now. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.